one of the things I recognize as a pastor is that Old Testament can be tough. Uh, even as someone who, who, you know, doing this as long as I have, there are parts of the Old Testament that's tough to grasp, tough to understand. If you're a new Christian or you're not really a Christian yet or you've, you've kind of you've been a Christian a while but never really gotten a Bible and the Old Testament is difficult. And so one of the things I constantly try to remind people, and this is so important, to understanding all of the Bible, but especially even the Old Testament, is the Old Testament points to something that the New Testament fulfills. So when you're struggling through the Old Testament, just remember that God's revealing stuff, but he's doing it partially, and he's promising things that are not yet to come. And even the difficult parts that are hard to grasp, ultimately, you need to get to the New Testament. But in and of itself, the Old Testament has great value, for there's things there uh, that we can learn about God. God's revealing himself to us. And one of the great things about the Old Testament is if you look at it as, it, as God revealing himself through the lives of people, and, and the people are very human. They're sinful, they're fallen, even those who love God. And there are three main people, three primary people in the Old Testament. The Old Testament really revolves around Abraham, Moses, and David. And David cast this huge shadow after his life over the rest of the Old Testament on in the New Testament. This is for two reasons. One, every king and every leader in the Old Testament is measured against David. And they all fall short of David. Secondly, going on into the New Testament... The Messiah is promised to come from the house of David. And there's all these things pointing to a Messiah that's somehow going to be a king like David. And Jesus comes along, and he is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. And the man part comes from the line of David. And so this is huge for David. It's just this huge figure. And the thing about David, he's so real. I mean, look, I always hate mentioning these things. All the sins of David are out there. And my name being David, that always kind of, like, that's kind of funny. But, you know, I mean, all the good of David, all the bad. These guys of legendary faith, he's legendary sin. But it always repents from his sin. But here's the thing about David. And this is, this is how David's evaluated. And this is really what our series is about for the next eight weeks. David was the man after God's own heart. Wouldn't that be cool at the end of your life? How would you describe David? He's a man after God's own heart. That'd be fantastic. We begin this series. That David's life story begins in 1 Samuel 16, in, in the corresponding place in Chronicles. But we're actually going to begin it today in chapter 17. We'll come back to 16 next week. We're going to begin with the most famous story there is about David. It is the ultimate Bible story, David and Goliath. I mean, you know, the David against the giant. We use the David-Goliath story as a metaphor all throughout you know, life, you know, in sports, you know, there's a, there's a David and Goliath story in some political races. There'll be someone will be categorized as the David against the Goliath and, and all of those things. And the thing about David and Goliath, what really comes out is this is where in his life in chapter 17, a legend begins. In David's life, a legend begins. Now we're going to go through all of 17 quickly. We're going to look at verses 41 through 47 in a little bit uh, in detail. But here's the thing that I want you to see from the life of David. It was not killing Goliath that made David a legend. It was faith in a Lord he honored all his life. It was, not, it was not killing Goliath that made David the legend. It was that he had a faith. He had faith in the Lord, and he honored him all his life. So the first thing I want you to see, the very first point in the message today, is about what matters most. We, we need... We need to kind of understand what, in, what, what matters most, especially when, when you're, you're dealing with David. Now, the David story begins in chapter 16. He is anointed king. Saul is king, but in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Saul has failed God. 
And so God has determined to be a new king. And so David's going to be the king. And so when you, and not only is he king, he's also already serving at the end of chapter 16 in Saul's house. He's, he's playing the harp for Saul, and, and he's kind of in his court a little bit. And then you come to chapter 17. And uh, in chapter 17, you're going to have this unbelievable story. And it's a story between this pagan named Goliath and this man of God named David. Now, back then, uh, the Philistines were, were the arch, arch enemies of the Israelites. And to put it in the best way I know how to put it this way, it's like if Israel was New Mexico State, then the Philistines were UTEP or enemy, right? Or UNM. And it's same thing, you know, and, and they, like, the Philistines were pagans, you know? They were godless people. So it, that analogy kind of holds true. And, and there were these godless people. And by the way, by the time David's life's over, the Philistines are basically done. I mean, there's, they come back a little bit here and there, but David just destroys these enemies of God. And so there's this battle going on in the Valley of Allah. And, and the Philistines are on one side and the Israelites on the other. Now, it's one of the ways that they would fight back then, instead of just armies going and this, you know, this human life being destroyed and, and, and affecting the economy and you know, agriculture, what they would do was they would send champions out to fight each other. And whoever won... The, the losing side would serve the other side for a period of time. And so this is Goliath. Goliath is huge. He's this big old dude. I mean, he's, he's six cubits big. Do you know how six big, big six cubits is? Me neither. It's about a foot and a half per cubit, they say. So that's probably about nine feet, yeah, give or take, maybe a little exaggeration. He's just a big old dude. And he's big on And he's coming out, man. He's, he's got all this armor on him. He's about 125, 140 pounds. He's got, you know, he's got a helmet. And he's got a sword. He's got a spear the size of a man's wrist. This is a big dude. And he's mocking the people of Israel. Come on, fight me, fight me. And nobody wants to fight him because they're going to get killed. And even Saul knows, you know, Saul's the king. He's a bigger than all the rest of Israelites. He don't want to go. He's going to get killed. And whoever loses, then Israel's got to go and serve. Now, into this scene comes David. Now, we, we have this picture, wrongly so, of David just being a little boy, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And, and when we tell the story of David and Goliath, almost always we go to the kids, and there's the pictures and the flannel graphs. They have, still have flannel graphs? Guess not. There's the pictures on video and PowerPoints, and David's a, teen, a young kid. But he's not. He's going to be able to be a young man. In fact, in, in a minute, we'll come to verse 42. In verse 42, there's this word that describes David, and they are. And they are means to be someone who's young. Now, I don't know why the NIV, most English versions just say he was youth or young. But for some reason, the NIV puts that he's a boy. And so it conjures up these pictures of him being a boy. But that's not what the word means. The word just means someone who was young. It could be a teenager, a young man. It could be a servant. It could be someone who was just younger than you. So, you know, I'm, you know, in the first service, I said, so I'm 59. So if you're 80, I'm young compared to you. So I'm in the second service. I'm 59. If you're 39... You're young compared to me. You're an AR. Uh, tomorrow is September 7th. Tomorrow, uh, 40 years ago, tomorrow, I began ministry. Tomorrow celebrates my 40th anniversary of ministry. And I started when I was 19. Yeah, thanks. You don't even know if I was any good back then. I, mean, you, I, I could have been horrible, you know. So thanks anyway. So, you know, I was an AR. I was a young, young man when I started. Uh, and, and like David, I was a handsome young man too, you know. <laughs> Know what happened. And so that's what it means. And in fact, if you take, if you just read the rest of the story of David in chapter 16, 17, 18, you understand he, he was a man. I mean, think about it this way. You know, here's, here's David's brothers, they're fighting, and his daddy, you know, back then you had, your family had to give you food. So three of his brothers are fighting. His daddy sends him out with food and through some rough area, and then it's dangerous to travel. He's not going to send a boy to travel. David gets there, and David starts hearing this guy and saying, um, 
what do you get if you defeat the Philistine? I mean, he, he's like, what's, what's in it? Because, you know, David, young men, young men back then, just like young men today. Young men, what do we get if we do something great? You want the fame, you want the money, you want a girl at the end. So if you kill the Philistine, what do you get? Well, you get fame. You're going to get a lot of money from Saul if you're going to get a girl at the end. That's not a young boy. One, that's a, that's a man. Yeah, I'll take that. Saul hears about it, calls him over. He already knows who David is a little bit, and he's had him in his court, probably forgot about him some, but had him in there. And he's not going to send a boy out to fight. He's not going to risk his kingdom in the hands of a boy. And so he says, David, he's going to give him some armor. David tries the armor on, and all the pictures with the kid, the armor's too big because David's about this tall. It doesn't say the armor was too big. It just says he was uncomfortable with it because he never fought in armor. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, after David wins and he cuts off Goliath's head, and he prances it around. He takes all the weapons to put in his tent. Why? Because he was a man. In verse 55 and 58, it says David was a man. In 1 Samuel 18, he was the leader of a, of a group of soldiers. He was a man. David was a man. Young man, but a man. College age. Something like that. And so he goes, and he picks up five stones. He's not going to go with a sword, and he's not going to go with a spear. He's just going to take a sling, because that's, that's the weapon of his choice. And back then, you could be really good with a sling. Whip that around, put it right there. He's getting five stones. People say, well, why did he get five stones? I've heard this so many times. It drives me nuts. People say, well, you know, Goliath had four brothers, and they might come out, and David have to avenge them. David had no idea if he had four brothers. David was going prepared. It was a five-stone job, man. Five stones. If by the fifth stone, Goliath ain't dead, David's going to be. It's five stones. And so he goes out to fighting, and it's this battle. And here's what it's about, really. It's a battle between those who are opposed to God and the ones you God. So we pick up in verse 41. Here's what it says. And the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. So you have this big old dude with all this, all this armor. And his shield bearer, so much stuff, he's got to take a guy with the shield. And there's David with the sling. He doesn't even have a stone bearer. He's just going up by himself. Just contrast. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained. He hated him. For he was but a youth. He's a young guy. He was ruddy. With the handsome appearance, that, that wasn't the Philistine who thought he was handsome. It's just the author writing that in there. So you had this contrast. Big old dude, David. Guy full of armor, relying on himself, David. Five rocks. Verse 43 says this. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. They don't even call him Goliath anymore. It's just the Philistine. They're just pagan. And he uses the names of his gods. And notice... The, the biblical author doesn't even list the gods. One of them was probably Dagon, but he doesn't even list them because those gods don't even exist. And he just starts trash-talking David. He said, come to me. Come to the boy, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field. Come here, young guy, and I'm going to whip up on you so bad. He's trash-talking. Now, this was kind of psychological warfare. By the way, David's going to do the same thing in a few minutes, the trash-talking. It was kind of getting to their head. It didn't happen to David. Still do that, by the way. Still trash-talking. I remember, I, you know, if you... When you leave college, I mean high school, to go to college and start playing athletics, and if you, any of you played college athletics at any level, any sport, you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, they start trash-talking in college, man. It is unbelievable amount of trash-talk, and, and you just get caught up. And I, start, I became a world-class trash-talker. No profanity. I just, I just talk trash. I still talk trash. I'm a very competitive guy. If we're competing, I'll talk trash to you. And I don't get very competitive much anymore because I'm older and try to be wise, and, and I lose a lot more, so I don't talk much trash. I'm not even the worst trash talker on our staff. The worst trash talker on our staff is this guy right here, Brian Kleber. You wouldn't think it with the poofy hair. 
and the, and the expensive jeans that look like they're old. Mine just are old. His look old. He's a, he talks trash. He's trash talking. He's gambling. It is pathetic when you run that guy. <laughs> they're trash talking. So here, here comes David, verse 45. He said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you, notice this. He didn't even mention the five stones. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted or cursed or blasphemed. He's saying, you got all this stuff you're relying on. I'm just relying on God. He is the Lord of hosts. Now, the word Lord, that is the covenant name of Israel, I mean of God. It is Yahweh. It's, it's his covenant name. He is the personal God of Israel. They didn't even mention, the author didn't even mention the God's of the Philistines because they don't exist. But this is a battle of this Philistine, this pagan, against the one true Lord, the covenant, the personal, the faith God of Israel. He is the almighty God, the God of the armies. He is the ultimate power God, the only God that exists. And the idea of taunting is the idea of blasphemy. If you taunted the armies of the one true Lord and blaspheming them, you were blaspheming God, you were cursing God. This is a personal battle now. This is a personal battle, not between David and Goliath, but between Goliath and these pagans and Yahweh. So verse 46, this is what David says. <laughs> he says, this day the Lord will deliver you up to my hands. God's going to give you to me. And notice this, he's not saying I'm going to get you. God's going to bring you to me and then I'll strike you down. And I'll remove your head from you. He didn't even have a sword, which means he's going to have to take Goliath's sword and cut your head off. Now, you know, there's nothing worse than being killed by your own weapon. Get head cut off by your own sword. And then this, notice this. Remember I told you that they were going to fight, and if Goliath won, then the, the Israelites would serve him. And, and if David won, by the other way, notice what David says. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the beasts and all the earth may know there's a God angel. What he's saying is this, you're not going to serve us. We're going to go ahead and just wipe you out and crush you. Because you are the enemies of God and we're not going to compromise and have you serve us because you can't serve God. We're just going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And that's what David would eventually do, by the way. People of faith... Never compromise with the world that is in hatred of God. You can compromise in politics. You can compromise in business. But if people of faith and people who are not of faith, we don't compromise spiritual matters. I never, it amazes me when people say, we just need to find common ground. When people are lost and they have a foreign view of God, from a spiritual standpoint, I'm not looking for common ground. There is no common ground. They're not followers of Christ. What I want is not coming ground. What I want is for them to become a believer in the Lord Jesus. So I'll never compromise that. The whole world's going to know. Everyone's going to know you got whooped. In verse 47, this is what he says. And then all this assembly, all the people of Israel, may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear. The battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. Notice, nobody went to fight the Philistine because they were all thinking they were going to fight on their own power. So David mildly rebukes them. He is the anointed king of Israel. And so as the anointed king of Israel, they don't know this, but he does. He gives them a mild rebuke and said, you all thought you were going to fight with weapons. Know this, the battle belongs to the Lord. And he will give you into our hands. We trust God. No matter what. 
David took those five stones, and the first one, he put right here in his head. He dropped him, and then he took that old boy's sword, and he lopped off his head, and then he lifted it up and showed everybody, and the Israelites went and routed the Philistines. Leviticus 24, 16 says, the one who blasphemes God will be stoned to death. And David stoned the Philistine. It wasn't by his power or his might, but by the power and the might of the Lord. So here's the thing. Here's what you understand. Let me summarize it this way. Here's Goliath. Here's David. Goliath represents a world in opposition to God, relying on its own power and its hatred of God to exist. And David represents those who are people of faith, who rely on the power of God, and who honor and serve him. Honoring God is what mattered most. I said the first point is what matters most. Here's what matters most. The honor of God mattered more to David than David's own life. Think about it. The honor of God mattered more to David than David's own life. How many of us can say that the honor and glory of God matters more to us than anything else? That's the first point. Here's the second point. It's this. Don't look at David and Goliath from the perspective of David. Look at them from the perspective of God like David did. Don't look at it from the perspective of David. From the perspective of God. And this is what I mean by that. David looked at this not as a battle between him and Goliath. But as Goliath humiliating, dishonoring, taunting, and blaspheming God. Here's what we do, and I get this with the story, we do it with the kids, and I've heard messages this way, and I read it up, and I read people say, this is how they apply it. You know, who was your Goliath? What battle was your Goliath? Look at the battles you fight. There's no battle too big, no giant too big. And I get it, that's just weak, because that's not what this is about. This isn't about the battles we face. It's about the world that hates God. So I'm going to give you five truths from this passage to help you understand it. And the first simply is this. You've got to understand this. You won't get any of it. The world is in opposition to God. There is a world out there absolutely in opposition to God. It hates God and everything about God. It doesn't matter what religion they follow. From the perspective of the New Testament, the Old Testament's book of promise, the New Testament's book of fulfillment. As a follower of Christ, here's what I know. People who don't follow Christ, regardless of their religious affiliation, regardless of what they believe, are opposing God. Because this is what God says you need to do. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You've got to come through Jesus. If you don't come through Jesus, you are opposing God. Period. It, it, it doesn't matter if, if, if people agree with that. If people say, no, but I believe in God. None of that matters. If you reject God's plan of salvation, Remember, we're all sinners. We all sin. From Genesis 3 on, man is sin. If you reject God's way, you're opposite of what God wants. In the New Testament, there were these Jews, and they were the leaders of the people. And here was Jesus, who fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah, who the Old Testament pointed to. He was David, the ultimate king of David. And the Jewish leaders hated him and rejected him and crucified him. Because the world lives in opposition to God. And I know it's simplistic. And I know we say it's more nuanced than that. No, it's not. It's black and white. We talk about things being gray areas. Listen, and when it comes to God, gray is the color of sin. Now, there may be gray in, in business. There may be gray in politics. There may be gray in personal relationships. There may be gray all over the place. God is a God of black and white. Right and wrong, good and evil, either you are with him or you're against him. Either you worship him or you don't worship him. Either you follow him or you don't follow him. Either you are saved or you are lost. 
And if you're not a follower of Christ, you live in opposition to God. The second thing then is this, the truth. A world in opposition to God will act in opposition to the followers of God every time. World that is in opposition to God, and I am a follower of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it will always oppose me. And Jesus told us that. Um, back in the summer, I did that series out of John 13, and then in John 14, 15, and 16, which are connected to John 13, I did on a Friday night called the Deep Fry, and I taught that. If you haven't seen it, I think it's still online. You can go get it. It's about three hours teaching. And in chapter 15, Jesus says this, if the world hates you, do not be surprised it hated me first. And oh, by the way, he said, it's going to hate you. The Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the basic message of Christ, that's probably preached early and often. In chapter 5, at the Beatitudes, in verse 10, 11, 12, Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted and who suffer because of me. And oh, by the way, you will persecute, be persecuted and suffer. You know, as Americans, we just think somehow we're supposed to skip persecution. No less than the United Nations that says the number one group of people in the world who are persecuted are Christians. For 2,000 years, Christians have suffered. Why we think we're going to escape that, I don't know. We probably ought not to think that, because here's what we do know, that a world that supposes God will oppose people who follow God. We follow God. The world's going to oppose us. It happens when you work, go to college. It's going to happen there. It's going to happen in the courts. Don't rely on the courts to protect you. It's going to happen in the media. It is happening in our society. That's just the way life is. But there's good news to all of that. (laughs) The good news is the battle belongs to the Lord, does it not? And so here are three more truths that are going to be there to encourage us in the life of David. And the first is this. We confront and challenge that world in faith. We don't hide away from that world. We are not those who shrink back and are afraid. But we are those who confront and challenge the world in opposition to God, not with not with words and arguments. You know, you're not going to convince anybody on social media that they're wrong. You know, it's not by physical confrontation. But we begin at the place of faith. We are safe by faith. We live by faith. We have a doctrine of beliefs we call our faith. That's how we live. So in um, f- uh, 605 B.C., the Israelites, well, the people of Judah, all that's left of Israel, and the people of Judah... Uh, this little kingdom was doing pretty good. They were pretty, pretty wealthy, and people left them alone. But the rich were oppressing the poor. The powerful were oppressing the weak. And so there was just this oppression going on. And so the prophet Habakkuk said, God, how long are you going to allow this to happen? Why are you letting these people, who were, who were supposed to be your followers, why are you letting them oppose and oppress the poor? And God said, don't worry about it. See, there was this another group of people back then called the Babylonians. They were the most powerful kingdom in the world. They had just defeated the Assyrians. They had just whooped the Egyptians. They were cruel, godless, vicious people led by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar who's all throughout the, you know, the Old Testament towards the end of it. And um, God said, Habakkuk, don't worry. I'm going to send the Babylonians and they're just going to whoop all you guys. <laughs> and he said, Lord, no, 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 no. I don't think, I, I take it back. <laughs> That's worse. That's worse than what's going on now. And God said, no, no, it's going to be fine. And he said, in, in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, he said, Habakkuk, come here. Listen to me, Habakkuk. Here's what he told him. He said, boy, the righteous person, the just person, my father, will live by faith. He said, Habakkuk, you've got to trust me on this. You've got to trust me. So 650 years later, Paul's writing to the church at Galatia. We're studying Galatians on Wednesday nights. Now Wednesday nights open back up. We're studying Galatians. And they were a church that were being led astray by Judaizers, people trying to take him away from faith in Christ and adding worship of uh, 
Israel's practices, circumcision, all that. And this is what, what Paul writes. He says to these folks, the righteous person, the just person will live by faith. He quotes it back. He does the same thing in Romans. The author of Hebrews does the same thing. In the New Testament, they're quoting this obscure prophet you probably never heard of, and you can't even pronounce his name when you read it, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, if you want to be official, or whatever you want to call him. 1,500 years later, 1,450 years later, there's this guy named Luther. Martin Luther, he's just a, he's a, he's a monk. He's a Roman Catholic guy, and this is no, if you're Roman Catholic or come from a Catholic background, I'm not knocking you. This is not that. This is just historical. He's struggling. He, 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 he can't find God. And so he's doing this study of the New Testament to teach, because he's a teacher of the Church of Wittenberg. And he reads the words, the just, the righteous will live by faith in Galatians. And he says, it's as if I've been born again. All of a sudden, he says, wow, the light comes on. And this is what it means to be saved, to have faith. And he takes 95 statements, writes them down, puts them on the door of the church in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. And that was date started a movement that has radically changed not only Christianity but the world. We call it the Reformation. And the Reformation began with one simple understanding. God's people live by faith. In the world in which we live, that has never changed. It goes to Luther. It goes to Paul. It goes all the way back to a guy named Habakkuk that lived 2,600 years ago. Who in the midst of the most difficult times asked God, even questioned God, even challenged God. And God in his love and mercy said... Dude, the just person lives by faith. Trust me. We confront and challenge the world also in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't do it in arrogance. What did Jesus, Jesus said to his guys, he said, love God, love other people. Then he said, and by the way, we looked at this back in June and July, and here's how everybody will know you're my disciple, love one another. It's the commandment I give you, just love one another. And then shortly after that, when he was raised back to life, he said, you go make disciples of all people. You love God, love others, go make disciples. We're good to go. So how do we go in the name of the Lord to a world that opposes the Lord? We take the gospel of Jesus Christ to that world. That's why it's just that simple. We love them, we forgive them, we pray for them, and we take the gospel of Jesus and we share it with the world who opposes Jesus. It seems weird, I know. How is that going to work? It's only been working for 2,000 years. Despite the fact that the church is being persecuted, the church is also growing and growing and growing. Why does it grow? Because it takes the gospel and shares it to people who need Jesus. That's why in China, in 10 years, there'll be more Christians in China than in America. Despite the fact that in China, they persecute believers. It never changes. One of the things we say all the time here is this. Get people to Jesus as fast as you can. Why? Because Jesus will change their life. We believe that. Which brings me then to the fifth truth, which is also at the heart of all we do, and it's this. We are to honor God in life. Always honor God. David lived to honor God. The other thing we say all the time here, honor God, get people to Jesus. That's it. Our ministry is very simple. I'm a very simple-minded guy. and I, I, I can't think of complex, complicated things. I can't multi-track. I can barely eight-track. Man, I can't do all that stuff. Honor God, help people come to Jesus. If we can do that, we'll be good. Remember the 31s, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you eat or you drink or whatever you do for the glory of God. John 13, 31. Jesus says, the Son has been glorified. Now, may God be glorified in him. We want God to be glorified in our life, just like David. If, if we seek to live a life to bring honor and glory to God, and, and we go out in faith in the name of the Lord and share Jesus, 
we're going to live a faith, a life that's going to be legendary. David was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect, because he wouldn't. Not because of all his conquests, it wasn't that. He was a man after God's own heart because in his faith, he honored God all his life. He became a legend. Not because of Goliath, but because of God. We need a faith that's legendary. To have a faith that's legendary, those of us who are followers of Christ, we're going to have to honor God in everything we do. So ask yourself this question. In my life, do I seek to honor God above all else? And if not, then as we have our invitation here, why don't you just say, God, I'm going to seek in my life to honor you. I'm going to look for every way I can to honor you. And in honoring you, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have faith. I'm just going to trust you. No matter, no matter what happens, I'm trusting you in life. No matter how bad life gets, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how crazy it is, no matter what's happening in all the culture around us, no matter what I understand or don't understand, God, I just trust you. And in trusting you, I just want to honor you. And then here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to take Jesus, and I'm going to help people come to know Jesus. I'm just going to connect them. Maybe just invite them to church. Maybe I just pray for them. I may not even say much to them, but I'm just going to find a way to connect them. Make that your life's passion. If you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, then we invite you today to give your life to Jesus. That'd be the place to start. Maybe you, you want to pray with somebody, and there'll be some men up here. I think there'll be a couple of gals up here, too, some of you women, if you want to pray with someone. If you want to trust Christ to be your Savior, you can, you can do that as well. You want to join our church, you can join our church. I, you know, I don't know what you need to do, but this is, what, this is what I pray you will do. Walk out of this place today with this commitment. I'm going to have a faith that's legendary. So, Father, we thank you for David. He had his ups and downs. We're going to see that. Like one thing about David, God, from the very beginning, when he was just a young man, he just honored you. It's all he cared about. Help us honor you. Help us have faith. Help us go out and live in the name of the Lord and give ourselves to you completely. And God, in honoring you as followers of Christ, help us bring people to Jesus so they can get to know him and they can have their life changed. We ask this, Father, in that name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you stand?